Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It's January the 25th, another Monday, another week in the story of America, in a post-Trump Biden America. We know, uh, as we suggested last week, that the Biden-Harris administration have four immediate priorities. Um, COVID-19, of course, climate, racial equity, and economics, and particularly, I think, inequality. And one of the people, I think, who have been most tasked with uh, connecting these four dots is Pete Buttigieg, who is the infrastructure czar in uh, in Biden's America. He's the guy, I think, responsible for quite literally rebuilding America. If there's one place in America which has become a kind of metaphor, a symbol, a warning of the breakup of the of the crisis of infrastructure, of course, it's the, and, and it's not completely sad, but in many ways, the sad city of Flint in Michigan, which of course has acquired global significance because of its water crisis over the last five years and because of its simultaneous environmental COVID uh, racial um, crisis. So it covers all four points in, in, in Biden's focus on the future. Uh, what, better time, what better time then to talk about Flint than today? Uh, and I have uh, one of Flint's chroniclers uh, on the show today, a man called David Hardin. He has a, a new book out called Standpipe, um, which is a very personal narrative of delivering water in Flint. He was uh, a volunteer water delivery guy during the crisis. Uh, David, um, am I exaggerating Flint as a metaphor, a symbol of American decline and, and crisis? I don't know if you're uh, exaggerating it, but um, I think it's a useful metaphor right now. Uh, you know, the, the, the water crisis was only the latest crisis that Flint uh, experienced. Uh, you know, it goes back years uh, to, to when GM, you know, GM uh, abandoned the city. So it's not just water; it's everything. It's deindustrialization. You have a, a a a lovely description of Flint at the beginning of your book. You say you write, uh, "Flint is boxed in north and south, east and west, by interstate highway and a bypass, a web of concrete and asphalt, built chiefly to serve the needs of industry." Of course, that's industry. Of course, is is leaving now. So. Do you see Flint as a, as a kind of ghost town of industrialization or of post-industrialization? 
it, it, it certainly is uh, a ghost, ghost town of post-industrialization. It's hardly a ghost town, though. That it's in, in many ways, it's a vibrant city. Uh, uh, people are living their lives there, struggling to get by uh, day after day. Uh, you know, the jobs have left uh, and they've come back uh, in, in, a, in a barely a trickle. But people are, uh, in my experience, were, uh, are, are doing their best to survive. Your book, Dave, is about your own um, volunteer work in Flint, or it's partly about that. You write at the beginning of the book, late February 2016, I completed training and qualify as a Red Cross disaster relief volunteer behind the wheel of a boxy red and white Red Cross emergency response vehicle. I deploy to an officially declared disaster relief operation in Flint, Michigan, city long on the way and lately devastated by a municipal water supply contaminated with dangerous levels of lead. Um, that's the kind of language we Americans, I'm not an American, but I'm speaking collectively, usually associate with parts of Africa or Asia. Um, there's been a lot of commentary about how the, the supposed exceptionalism of America has been burst, that bubble has been popped in Trump's America. Does the water crisis speak of, of, of how America is like the rest of the world, particularly the developing world? A great deal. Uh, uh, my experience in Flint uh, began uh, at about the same time that uh, Donald Trump began his ascendancy to the presidency, uh, purely coincidental. But um, that, in retrospect, it really colored my, uh, my thinking as I was writing the book, uh, what, he, what he represented uh, uh, in, his, in his election to the presidency. Dave, give, uh, give us a summary of, of, of this water crisis. Uh, lots of pieces on the web, uh, Flint water crisis, everything you need to know, uh, all sorts of headlines uh, about water as a human right. And it's back in the news because uh, the, the, the governor has um, now been indicted uh, in this crisis. But very briefly, what happened in Flint? Well, very briefly, and I'm not, and I'm not an authority on the subject. There have been many good books written uh, journalistically about about the events that led up to the water crisis. But in a nutshell, uh, the city had been uh, taken over by a uh, by a, an emergency manager appointed by the governor. Uh, the, the legislature gave him the authority to do that. So the city was run by an unelected uh, uh, official, and uh, among other things, cost cutting measures. He uh, decided to uh, uh, leave the Detroit water system, which is which was costly for the city, and tap into the Flint River. Literally, tap into the river that runs through the city for the to uh, for the residents' water supply. And in doing so, they uh, neglected to treat the water properly, and the water then uh, uh, bit into the lead pipes and uh, released lead into the water. And it went on for months and months and months before it. Uh, the residents were aware of it. 
Dave, this is Rick Schneider, of course, the the Republican governor. I acknowledge that you've written a very personal book, but you do know more about the crisis than most people. Um, do you think that ultimately the responsibility is 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 with uh, is with Snyder? Uh, some Republicans are arguing that the Democrats should have responsibility too. Um, you know the buck stops here. It's an old uh, an old phrase. It's an overused phrase, but he was governor at the time, and he was. Um, uh, supported by the, the GOP-dominated legislature. They've set up the, the emergency manager law. Um, he signed off, uh, as far as I know, uh, on, on all those decisions that were made. And, and they really affected people's lives. Children, uh, el- the elderly, everyone who lives in Flint. Yeah, the, 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 the children aspect is particularly... Um is particularly heartbreaking. Uh, there was a, a, a story in the Times uh, a few weeks ago that most of the $600 million settlement in, Flint, in the Flint water crisis will go to children. How were children particularly affected by this crisis? Well, to my knowledge, they, they were uh, the lead problem didn't emerge for months and months after the lead was released. And it was a local pediatrician. Uh, uh, and I hope I get her name correct. It's uh, Dr. Uh, Mona Hannah Atisha, I believe, but she's written a very good book about it. She began to notice symptoms in her patients uh, uh, that that clearly pointed to lead lead poisoning. And uh, you know, over the long term, uh, lead poisoning can result in uh, mental uh, affect children mentally, emotionally. Uh, it'll it'll have long term effects on. Uh, special education needs in Flint, uh, long-term health problems. And, and that, that, that's only the, the most uh, uh, egregious uh, health issue, I think. There are others. Dave, your book is, of course, about your experience of, of um, delivering water, of, of, of volunteering to deliver water in Flint in these dark times. But it's also a very personal story. You write Flint, a river runs through it, though more industrial trough than robust waterway. The river and city are on a cusp of worldwide notoriety. In less than two years, grieving my mother's death, I will find myself prowling the city's streets in my official capacity as disaster volunteer. But today I'm mired in worries of my own. Uh, The book is as much about your family and your mother and your father as it is about Flint itself. Why did you choose in the book to parallel these two worlds? You know, when I when I decided to write a book, and I have to say, uh, uh, you know, going to Flint to to uh, volunteer, I didn't I didn't go there planning to write a book at all. Uh, I was uh, my mother had died a few months before um, uh, I was home recuperating from some surgery. I couldn't. Uh, I was had to be off my feet for for a few months. And I was listening to the news of, of Flint, and, and uh, every day I would get angrier and angrier and uh, decided I wanted to go and volunteer. And it was only uh, after the fact uh, I started to uh, uh, write things down, uh, things that I had remembered, anecdotes of Flint. And uh, I, I amassed uh, quite a bit of material. Uh, but again, I had no, it still hadn't uh, occurred to me to write, to, to, to write, try to write a book about it. 
uh, it was only after uh, I spoke to um, uh, a local a local poet, uh, Thomas Lynch. He's an author poet here in Michigan. And he read it and uh, had good things to say about it, but suggested it needed something else. It needed another element to, uh, to make it resonate. And, and the more I thought about it, uh, it was uh, obvious. It should have been obvious to me in the beginning. My, my mother had uh, suffered a long decline. She died right before the, the, the water crisis uh, uh, blew up in the, in the media. And so the two, the two occur, uh, occurred um, along a parallel track. And it, seemed, it, it, it just seemed a natural, a natural uh, thing to do to try to, to try. But, but, but it's not just a parallel track. The, the tracks are themselves, they're not running in parallel. They're entangled, aren't they? Uh, that's a better way to put it. Enmeshed, entangled. Yeah. Why? You know, I, I uh, probably like many people, I, you, you lose a parent. My mother and I had a... a I'll just call it a, a, a complicated, as they say nowadays, a complicated relationship. And I was grieving her death. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I knew I was grieving her death. Uh, and, uh, and I think Flint, uh, Flint emerged. Uh, coincidentally, uh, I, had, I found myself having very, uh, a, a, an emotional response to what was happening over, over and above what I may have had if I hadn't have lost my mother. And... Um, uh, uh, in, in hindsight, looking back, I was reacting to uh, a real personal loss, but I was reacting also to, 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 to the loss of the people who live in Flint uh, in a way that, that uh, I may not have otherwise. Yeah, that personal loss, uh, loss really adds, it's, it's dark, I wouldn't say it's depressing, but it's, it's quite moving and it adds to the book. And We've had several authors on the show recently writing about America. Tom Zollner's The National Road, Kerry Arsenault's Milltown, Dale Maharidge's Fucked at Birth, Carl Hoffman's Liar's po Circus. And they're all very personal takes on America, uh, not just on um, the America of their birth, but they've weaved their own stories uh, Kerry, um, Kerry Arsenault's Milltown is a book about um, where she grew up and, and it's full of stories of, of old poor people, people without hope. Um, Dale Maharidge's Fucked at Birth, that's the, the photo he took which sort of triggered the book. Uh, the book itself, of course, is about the death of hope in America. Um, could a subtitle of your book be fucked at birth? Uh, because the interesting thing about your book is you made something of yourself, even though you were born into, I wouldn't say ordinary circumstances, but very average circumstances. Yeah, I was born into very ordinary average circumstances and I wouldn't use uh, fucked at birth to describe myself or my, my, uh, my childhood, but we, our family, like many families, we had, uh, uh, we, we struggled to uh, figure each other out and figure out how to live uh, live our lives together. Uh, um, uh, my folks are no longer here to uh, to uh, speak to that, but I but I am, and I feel like in the book I had an opportunity to tell our stories, tell a version of our stories, uh, and, and uh, try to for myself try to begin to understand who they were as people. Uh, 
they what were, do you think your parents would think about this book if, 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 if they were able to read it? Your mother and father, it's a very personal narrative and it's, it's not sugarcoated. Not at all. I, I, I'd like to think that um, uh, maybe after an initial uh, bit of shock, they, they, it, would have, it would have allowed us to, to, to say things that we never, could, we, we never could say while we were all alive. Um, uh, they were good people, but they were immigrants as well. They immigrated from the South to the North for work after the war, like, like many people had done before them. Uh, uh, and uh, there, were, there were great challenges in that. I think it, it, all immigrants face uh, great challenges uh, that the rest of us don't necessarily face. Do you think one of the purposes of, of your book was to give both your parents, who, as you say, struggled in some ways, a, a kind of dignity, an agency of their own? even though their lives may not have been outwardly enormously successful or notable? Uh, that's part of it. I, they, 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 uh, if, if I, in writing the book, if I gave them uh, a, a dignity that they may not have uh, been aware of or known uh, in life, uh, I will have done, <laughs> I, would have, I would have done them a great service. Uh, they were dignified people uh, and they didn't talk about it uh, much. Um, uh, and I may not have always seen them that way, but in, but in, uh, at my age and, and having written the book, uh, I, I've developed a new, uh, an appreciation for who they were as people, aside from being my parents. Dave, um, Flint is of course very well known as, I'm not sure of the exact numbers. Um, here, here we have the, the geography of Flint, but it's distinguished by the fact, if that's the right word, that there's a majority, I think, of African-Americans. In the Maharaj book, uh, there was a lot of stuff. He, he actually visited Flint. There's a lot of stuff on the plight of African-Americans and the struggle and the response in Black Lives Matter. Um, what was your experience of racial division and the, and the great question of race? In, in your experience of, of, of doing this volunteer work in Flint in, in 2016? Well, everything you've just mentioned, I you know, was well aware of before I got to Flint. Uh, I grew up in this area. Flint's about 90 miles uh, north of where I live. Um, but I guess my own uh, racial blinders were, uh, uh, continued, they were, I, I had my own blinders uh, on when I arrived there, and it and it took my time in Flint and reflecting on it afterward to really see uh, where my blind spots uh, were or are possibly. Um, uh, when I set out to write the book, I, I intentionally uh, set out to 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 um, uh, you know not 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 make uh, not refer to race directly in terms of the people I met. Uh, uh, I, I, in hindsight, I think I uh, was trying to uh, 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 apply some kind of color blindness to the narrative, and it didn't work. And and, and it and it and it was um, obvious quickly that I was ignoring uh, uh, the, the entire issue of race or what how I encountered it in Flint. And. So you you reworked it, or or you think that's still a critique, a genuine critique of the book? No, I reworked it uh, with encouragement from the the, the editor uh, from Belt, uh, Martha, uh, Martha, my editor, and uh, my primary reader, my wife. Uh, 
I guess I lacked the courage uh, and, and the insight in the beginning. Uh, and, and it was made apparent, uh, made very apparent to me that. Uh, what, what did you say? How, how did the book change? What did you say about race in America and the plight or challenge of being African-American in Flint that you hadn't said in, in the first writing of the book? In the first writing of the book, I, I, I didn't, I believe I didn't fully address the fact, and I referred to the fact that Flint is a primarily uh, a majority black city, but I didn't address so much um, uh, what that means uh, uh, for a population when, when, they, when they depend on um, uh, uh, when, they're, when they're dependent on uh, a government that may not recognize them as being uh, uh, full citizens of, of the state or, or the nation. You know, people who, who may find themselves being thought uh, less of uh, because they aren't politically as important. Uh, and in the beginning, uh, that didn't uh, cross my mind as much and, and, and regretfully so. What, what is the damage of Flint? In, in, um... Obviously, the, the PR damage for America is, is a catastrophe and for the city itself. Um, there was an interesting piece in Politico a few days ago suggesting that Flint's, excusing the pun, has cleaned up its water problem, but people still won't drink it because they don't trust it. And, and, and that, of course, speaks of, of, of COVID-19 and the fact that people don't trust the vaccine. Has did you did you sense in in your experience in driving around Flint during the crisis times that people had fundamentally lost trust in the authority of government, in the authority of experts, particularly on well both on the local, federal, and national level? I think the trust was long gone before the water water crisis uh, emerged. Uh, I can only speak to what I what I encountered while I was there, but there was virtually no trust uh, that the local government, the state government, or, or even the federal government uh, cared uh, at all about what happened in Flint. Um, uh, you know, people would tell me every day uh, we, we would, we were furnishing filters and uh, uh, put on their taps and they didn't trust the filters, but they didn't have much choice. Um, we delivered bottled water also, so they were reliant on the bottled water. But um, no, there there was zero trust in my opinion back then. But it went back it went back decades. You, as we suggested earlier, your book is a is a personal narrative of your growing up in a in a different kind of America. From what you remember of your parents, was there more trust in government? Has that trust decayed not only amongst the people of Flint but broadly in America? And is that the core crisis in America today? I believe so. Uh, coming up uh, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood. We we uh, we were comfortable, uh, uh, but I think there was a uh, a great deal of trust uh, in 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 uh, local government, especially in state government. Uh, there was a respect there, I think, for uh, the people our, our elected officials. Um, and maybe that ended uh, or began to end in 1973 when uh, Nixon resigned. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I can remember a time when, when uh, people, people trusted the, their elected officials to do the right thing, to do right by them and their neighbors. 
Dave, you mentioned Trump. You mentioned Nixon. Um, here we have National Review suggesting that the Democrats should have been indicted also. But do you see, it's clear you're not probably a great friend of the Republican Party. Do you see the crisis of Flint as a kind of climax of Republican politics of Nixon and Reagan and Trump? I would say it's the beginning of the climax. Uh, I, I might even say the climax we saw two weeks ago in, at the Capitol. Uh, I hope that was the climax. Um, but, but Flint certainly represents the first, um, uh, if you want to compare it to a dam, the first uh, 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 breach of the dam uh, uh, breaking and, and uh, uh, you know, the first, the first loss of uh, uh, trust in a, in, 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 a, in a significant way in the state. Another water, another water metaphor, Dave, the, uh, the breaking of the dam. One of the books that I think is most like yours, which we've talked about recently, is Tom Zollner's The National Road, Dispatches from a Changing America. Like yours, a very personal book. Like yours, also a book about his mother. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. If you're not, you should read it. Uh, and I'm going to get him to read yours. There's a lot of, lot of nice symmetries between the two. Uh, in, in Zollner's book, he focuses, and I, and I brought this up several times, regular viewers would probably be sick of me of this quote, but I really like it. Zollner argues, the American concept of geography has undergone a powerful shift. Place is less important uh, than it has ever been to those who can free themselves from it, yet more important to those who aren't able to leave it. I think it's a very profound observation. And of course, your book, is about place and it's about the people of Flint who couldn't choose to leave, who couldn't come out to California or New York or, or go off to, to Europe because of the water crisis. What did your experience in the writing of your book teach you about place and geography in America today? Well, I can say a lot about that, but my first thought is uh, back to my, my parents, they were immigrants from, from the South they left there uh, uh, to find work. There, there was no work uh, when, when, they, uh, when they were young. And um, um, uh, my father was a bit of a, um, he, had a he had a wanderlust, I think. And uh, uh, even though he lived in Michigan for, 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 for uh, 50 years, uh, he, he couldn't wait to, uh, to leave Michigan and go to Florida, like, like, like a lot of people do. Uh, he never really s seemed to, to come to rest anywhere uh, in his heart, I guess. Um, but, it, but the book is about place. And uh, I grew up, uh, uh, my mother had a, had a thing she would say often, uh, she referred to home as the home she grew up in, in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, it confused the hell out of me growing up. I, I, I had a home <laughs> and she seemed to not be ready to accept that, that home was elsewhere. So how do you think America should rethink their relationship with geography, with place. If we are to fix this broken country, and of course, as you suggested, uh, um, Flint being an acute symbol of that brokenness. Well, the idea of Flint being a broken place and other places uh, being whole, uh, 
uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know, we, we uh, in, a, in, a, in a real fundamental way, we share the landscape. Uh, Flint may be 90 miles away from where I'm sitting now, but uh, it's a landscape I share. Uh, and I should care as much about Flint as I do about uh, the city I live in or, uh, uh, you know, a place in Iowa. Uh, 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 that, that, that the sense of uh, uh, Commonwealth, a, sh a shared uh, sense of who we are, I suppose, based on geography. Citizenship, in other words, Dave. So that that's an interesting uh, point where my series of how to fix democracy is focusing on citizenship this year and perhaps political action. We had um, uh, the very well-known uh, environmental activist Erin Brockovich on the show a couple of months ago. She has a new book out, Superman's Not Coming, our national water crisis and what we the people can do about it. Her book was about political agency and confronting America's water crisis. Would you agree with Brokovich? In your experience, did the driving around Flint teach you of the importance of direct political action on the part of each of us? I would, I would say it did. I, um, one thing that uh, puzzled me in, in the time I was there, uh, uh, and again, I can only base it on the people I talked to personally, and I talked to quite a few people uh, uh, every, every day that I volunteered. Um, people seemed, if not willing to accept their lot, uh, there was a, a lack of uh, passion, uh, uh, or, or um, maybe that's the wrong word, but a lack of uh, an awareness that they could they could take to the streets and do something about it. That in the time I was there, uh, I was shocked that people hadn't taken to the streets. People hadn't, uh, uh, and, and not in a violent way, but taken to the streets to voice their displeasure and their anger. And people were angry, uh, but it, 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 that never really happened in a big way. There were a lot of public meetings. People certainly had a voice and, and spoke out. But uh, I think I used to think, well, if it happened in my city, uh, I'd want to be out. Uh, <laughs> You know, marching on City Hall uh, uh, to to make to make the authorities know in uns no uncertain terms how uh, angry I am. Well, I think um, Dave, your your action was in writing this book. Uh, you may not have gone on the streets, but Stampipe delivering water in Flint is both an extremely personal and also political response to uh, what you saw and did in Flint. Um, it's an excellent book, an easy, short, not, I wouldn't say an easy read, but a short read and a very emotional read. It's published by my friend Anne Trubeck at uh, Belt Publishing. And I think it also speaks of the importance and success of local publishers to address these issues. I want to congratulate you, uh, Dave, on the book. Um, I know you're in Royal Oak, Michigan at the moment, not very far from Flint. What else should people be reading in these strange times in late January 2021, where we're all stuck inside well you should be reading uh poetry i will say that you should read poetry but i two books i have with me right now I, i'm reading uh, uh right now uh one is uh the new george uh saunders book a swim, uh, swim in, the in the pond in the rain lovely and uh, uh you might say so what, why dave sorry i interrupted you why should people be reading that book um I'll tell you why I'm reading it. it, it it's uh, uh, a master course on writing and why why the short story is important. I don't know if it speaks directly to uh, 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 our politics right now, but it gives me hope. Uh, I think uh, there's power in uh, 
the written word and, and, and fiction and poetry and, and uh, nonfiction. And uh, I, th I, th I think it's very important. You know, right now, it's really important to uh, to read other ideas and other view other views. And another book? You said you had two. I have two. Um, uh, a Promised Land, uh, Barack Obama's uh, memoir of his first uh, first uh, term in office. Um, I, I find it inspiring. I, I'm, I'm reading it uh, with the Trump administration fresh in my mind, the disaster that was the Trump administration. And the contrast is striking. Uh, and our, you know, of course, our uh, current president, uh, Biden, appears in the book quite a bit. And he, uh, uh, had, of course, had a, had a great role in that administration. So uh, it's fascinating. Well, I think that's a, a, two very good recommendations. I have to admit, shame. I'm ashamed that I haven't read either either of them, but both, if they're watching George Sanders and Barack Obama, more than welcome to come on the show to discuss their new books. Um, Dave Harden, uh, congratulations on a really, uh, I, I think, an excellent book and an excellent uh, and, 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 and a transparent book about your experience, your heart, your background, and also about Flint. Um, I want to wish you a very happy and healthy 2021, and uh, we'll have you back on for your next book, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Andrew. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.